Um, last week we started to look at um, the Hebrew poetry and um, identifying what is Hebrew poetry um, and looking at the technicalities of it, just being technical with Hebrew poetry, understanding parallelism and prose and things of that sort. So this is something that um, you must understand when looking at wisdom literature, when looking at uh, poetry, um, these types of, um, of structure, uh, because it will help you um, interpret scripture. It will help you um, to understand what you're looking at and things, things of that sort, okay? So um, also last week we looked at, um, when it comes to parallelism, you're gonna see it a lot within poetry. Uh, and we looked at the types of uh, parallelism as well uh, when it comes to looking at this uh, synonymous parallelism and um, antithetic, synthetic um, parallelism where one line may contrast another line or um, you may see um, a statement that will connect, they will use the word um, and or but that will connect two thoughts. Um, you'll see um, a lot of different ways of writing and uh, we as Bible students must develop a critical eye um, for identifying um, uh, literary uh, structures and literary types of what the author is using. And it will help us in our interpretation of scripture of how um, of we can look at how the, the author may be feeling at that time. Uh, we may look at uh, what was going on during, during that time. And so looking at the literary structure um, developing a critical eye that will help us. Okay. So, um, before I jump into this week's lesson though, are there any questions about last week or even some questions about today's reading that you want to bring up at this time? Uh, I just want to say that reading this again, is just reminding me to be mindful when dealing with, um, when dealing with the Proverbs and Psalms, because it's easy to just get carried away. You know what I mean? And then, you know, because I think the Arthur even reminded us, like, just remember, this was before some major revelation had happened, you know, and a lot of these writings were based on how the person felt at the time, not necessarily God's mind on the matter. It's just, I felt like this. So Lord, kill them all dead. You know what I mean? And we like the well. David prayed the prayer and it's like, well, no, he probably didn't. Somebody else probably did. You know what I mean? And so being reminded too of the different types of, of Psalms, you know, and what they mean and, you know, Messianic type Psalms and stuff like that it was, it was, it was pretty dope. So it was like, okay, cool. Like just that reminder is necessary when approaching this kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one uh, point you said that, um, uh, when the person is expressing how they feel. And um, at that point of time, you know, it, it's not the full revelation of God of how he thinks of a, a, a issue or whatever, a situation is what God revealed to them at that time. So they're just dealing with the limited revelation that they have. And um, the mistake that we have today is taking that, that point. Like for instance, when we, when we looked at Job, we looked at um, 
how he dealt with uh, struggles and how he dealt with persecution. And we take what Joe went through and tried to hold it to our standard of living, not understanding that God gave us even greater revelation. Uh, since we're under the dispensation of grace, we have a greater revelation of how to deal with, with uh, struggles and deal with persecution and things of, uh, things of like that. So, yeah, so it's, it's a lot to keep in mind. We're looking at song, uh, looking at uh, poetry literature, because we like to quote it today. We like to hold it as our standard. When we feel down and sad, we go read songs. And it's like, okay, uh, you have to understand that where they were, this is how they view God. This is how much revelation they had about God. Whereas we, uh, I will always continue to say, we have better instructions um, in the epistles uh, that were communicated uh, to the apostles by Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. And so, um, and it gives us um, key things on how to deal with persecution, how to deal with struggles and things of that sort. So, yeah, I try to keep that in mind as well. So it's just, it's a lot to consider. So. Um, anybody else have any thoughts or comments from last week or anything from this week's reading? Okay. All right. I just, cool. I just knew mother was coming after that, but I guess she's still resting. <laughs> she ain't awake yet. Yeah, I woke. I woke. I'm listening. I'm listening. I, I uh, 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 <laughs> I'm listening. Uh, it's just that uh, I hear and I do uh, agree with what was said and what is being said. Um, but I'm also, I guess, uh, tucked away in my heart. I keep reminding my own self, and this is just for me, uh, that the, uh, the, uh, the word of God from Genesis to Revelation is it, a school book, if you will. It's, it's a teaching and when I look at and read about the lives of other people, how God did what he did when he did what he did. And even in this dispensation of grace, he's God today and forever. He changes not. And even when you look in the old at the Psalms and Proverbs and things of that nature, uh, also, too, it is very for me. It is um, it is exciting to see or hear or read about someone who went through a certain thing or how they dealt in their um, grieving process, but to see God, how he handled uh, whatever the situation was or uh, however he dealt with the individual that he's still father and to look back at a brother and sister, if you will, and to see how father dealt, dealt with that situation. To me, it is a comforting and it, it, it oozes and boosts my faith that even if I read in Psalms and use a Psalm, not so much of dealing with it in the same way that that person was dealing with it, but know that if he brought David out and if that's his testimony, I know he'll bring me out. So that's from that from that place was how I look at the word of God. If you uh, you know even from historical aspect. Mm -hmm. Good, good. Thank you for that for that thought. Um, anybody anybody else? All right, all right. Let's just go ahead and jump into this lesson today. So we are looking at the book of Psalms, and we are looking at the book of Proverbs. So. I pray that you all got a chance to do the reading. Um, the reading assignments is not 
long reading assignments, but it does contain a lot of information. And so I want to make sure that we have, you know, kind of an understanding of what is going on here. So it starts on page 167 um, in your book. Um, we are um, looking at the authorship and date. Um, when you read the first paragraph here, let me um, share my screen real quick here. All right, okay, good. Okay. All right, cool beans. All right, so with the authorship and date, um, you guys are reading your book or look at the screen here. It says approximately two thirds of Psalms have known authors and the remaining one third are anonymous. So of the um, 100 Psalms uh, that have identified uh, identifiable authors, um, David is the most prolific writing 73 of them. Um, he may have written many of the anonymous Psalms also. So technically the Psalms covered a thousand years of history from Moses, about 1500 BC to the post-exilic times, 500 BC. But the, um, I guess that's most, uh, mass, must be mass, mass majority uh, were written in the hundred year period from 1030 to 930 um, BC. So that's something to, to really um, uh, keep in mind. And then we see here in the book, it gives us kind of more of a breakdown here. It says that um, Asaph, uh, one, of, one of David's course musician wrote 12 of them. Um, 10 were written, let me see, do I have it on the side? Slide. Let me see here. Okay, I do have it. Okay, good. Uh, 10 were written by the sons of Korah. Um, two by Solomon and one uh, each by Moses, Haman, and Ethan. So that's something to keep in mind too, because we like to dedicate the entire book of Psalms to David. And he only wrote a little bit uh, less than half, 73 out of the 150. Um, and then you got um, uh, other, other known authors of the Psalms, and then you have um, some that are unknown. And so um, that's something to really keep in mind. Uh, many, many attribute the book of Psalms to David, I guess, because of how many he wrote and the fact that, you know, he was one of the great kings. Um, David has a really, uh, when, when you ask somebody about David, he was, he was considered one of the great kings. He led them in the, the, the golden ages of, um, of Israel, where there was just peace in the land. Um, and so uh, a lot of people li uh, like to attribute the book of Psalms to, to David. Okay. Hey. And so, yeah. I thought it was interesting too. And I'm trying to remember if it was Psalms or Proverbs, but it had to be the Psalms when I was reading it. That 150th Psalm. Mm -hmm. And I think the Arthur, which was kind of shocking to me, was saying that, of course, David didn't write that when somebody else did. And if I'm not mistaken, he was saying that when they were editing the Psalms, that they added that one to kind of close it out. And I thought that was very, very, 
very, very interesting. Because, you know, that's one of the most popular songs ever. We got songs, you know, we declare it in adoration and stuff like that. So I thought it was just very interesting to know, like, when when these people were editing, um, uh, they were editing that if they really added that 150th Psalm or whatnot in that last division. So I thought that was good. And the fact that it's like, these songs were written over thousands of years. Like, oh yeah, cause you got mosaic songs and stuff in there too. So it's like, oh, this is pretty dope and interesting thought. Cause I never, you know, you never dig that far until you hear it. So it was pretty. Right, yeah, it is It is interesting. And the lessons to see how when they were putting the books together, uh, collecting the books, they collected it in a thematic way. And just like you said, that last uh, uh, one, uh, Psalm 150, they put it there to kind of the closing of the book. And so, uh, so uh, if you subscribe to the Protestant canon of having 150 Psalms in the book, so you can see the, the, how it kind of just connects. When we um, talk about it some more, we're going to look at the different divisions of Psalms and how everything just kind of connects in a thematic way. So... Yep. So that's a good point. Anybody else? Cool. All right. Um, and so I was, I was talking about um, the connection with David. David, he was um, the one that kind of brought uh, music arts, uh, music or arts into, into worship. He, he was the first one that kind of brought, brought songs um, into the work, into um, worship. So um, he institutionalized the Psalms in the life of, of Israel's worship, and he brought singing and dancing um, into, into worship as well. So that's something to uh, really keep in mind as well. So it's, uh, it's uh, kind of common to attribute the Psalms to David because of what he institution, institutionalized um, in the temple, not temple, uh, tabernacle era. Um, and so that's just something to keep in mind there. So when, um, let's see, oh, before we get to uh, purpose and basic outline, there was a, a, the next paragraph um, in your book, it says, in identifying the office, is it clear that the great majority of Psalms were written during the era of the United Monarchy, the foundational books of 2 Samuel and Kings. Technically, the Psalms cover a thousand years of history from Moses to the post-exilic times, uh, 500 BC, but the vast majority were written about okay, 1030 to 930. So I said that. And so the, the book, one of, one of the Psalms, Psalms 90, um, is believed to be written by Moses. And they believe that this was said when they were crossing over the, uh, the Red Sea. Okay, so it connects to Exodus 15. Um, and so, uh, so uh, the next paragraph says, there is ongoing discussion on how the Psalms were collected but we can be sure that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write poems of praise and worship. Okay. Um, and then uh, in the, in, in the same paragraph, but the kind of the last sentence in there, it says many scholars believe that the 150 Psalms found in our Bible reflects the work of one final editor who was usually identified as Ezra the scribe. So remember a few weeks ago, when we were talking about Ezra and how he kind of compiled um, the, the, the Bible or the scriptures together um, in a time where they were um, coming out of um, exile. 
out of Babylon. And so they felt the need to compile the scriptures together and to get back to learning the scriptures and get back to, to basically the heart of God. And so Ezra was one of those who contributed to, to of, of gathering and collecting scriptures. Okay. So when hey, it, we need to give Ezra more props for well, he's showing up a lot, man. We don't talk about Ezra enough. We do not. Uh -uh. Like seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for God using Ezra in that way of collecting scriptures. Man. And uh, restoring the the worship back uh, to 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 the people of God, um, yeah, we yeah we just went and yeah people don't really talk. I guess people don't take the time to talk about them or research them. I, I don't know what it is. I don't, I, I don't think we I don't think we know. Like I yeah. didn't start really oh. hearing a lot about you know you hear about Ezra, but you just kind of keep it pushing. Yeah, but when you stop, you start you know the weight on these people's lives, man, mm -hmm. it, it carries like crazy. Right, yeah, definitely. Um, Dale, you had your hand, go ahead. Yeah, because it went over so many years. Dale, you and your talk. preacher voice, you and your preacher voice, I need you to make it up, bring it up a little bit. Oh, go ahead, Dale. <laughs> <laughs> um, does it talk about why the Psalms were placed in that such an order versus like starting with Moses, then ending with David? You see what I'm saying? Or in a chronological type? Yeah, order. versus just kind of just placed almost. Yeah. yeah, they're in a they're in a thematic order. So that's kind of the, the way that, you know, those who compile um, the book of Psalms, that's just how they did it in a, in a thematic way or whatnot. Now, when you look at other various canons of, of, um, of scripture, their order might be a little different. And some other canons, um, Hebrew canon, so a few of the Hebrew canons, they have more than 150 Psalms. Um, there's one, there's one uh, Psalms 151. And then yeah. some up to Psalms 154. And so uh, it just really depends on the canon that you're looking at. So the canon that we have um, is organized in a thematic way. So they organize the Psalms in a thematic way, in which we're going to kind of talk about later on how the, the Psalms is um, uh, put together. So, yeah. Yep. Okay. It's more thematic than chronological. Yep. Yeah, that that's what's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I did a study a few weeks ago on Psalms 151, and it, it it's very different from the other Psalms. So it's a, it's a pretty cool one. Um, so let's see here. Uh, so let's go to the basic outline. Um, let's see here. Come on. Okay. So it says, clearly the purpose of Psalms um, are to give the people of God a model for corporate and personal praise and worship. Within the Psalms, we have several genres that will be discussed um, later. So when we look in our, let's see here, where did I jump to? Um, in our book, um, it says that the various Psalms cover a wide range of subjects. 
Um, but the single element found in just about every psalm is that of praise. The psalms constituted the hymnals of Israel, a key worship, a key to worship is praise. God undoubtedly inspired and preserved the uh, psalms because they accurately reflect the full range of human emotions. They help God's people to find their way through varying um, experiences of life. So they serve as expression of human feeling and joy and sorrow and depression or jubilation in darkness and light. So the book not only constitute hymnal of ancient Israel, but has served as a basis for many uh, hymns uh, down through the present day. And so um, we see a lot of what we may do in, in service and uh, just like what, what Eagle's saying, um, just knowing um, that God would deliver, you know, uh, David, that he would, you know, you have some type of faith that he would deliver us to. And so, um, so the book of Psalms kind of gives us um, a way of looking at how they dealt with, um, uh, de you know, depression and being joyful in God and, and just various ranges of, of emotion um, that we can, that we can look at. Um, and so, um, so yeah, that's kind of the, the purpose of Psalms. And so when you look at the, the outline, um, it says there's really no way um, of outlining Psalms is set by the organization of the books as found in our Bible. So the Psalms are divided into five books. And so if you have like kind of a, a detailed paper, some paper Bibles will show like this is book one or division one of Psalms and things of that sort. So it just broke down, uh, it's broke down to these five divisions here. Uh, many have, um, believe that the five divisions of Psalms corresponds to the five books of, of the Pentateuch, um, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Some believe it kind of corresponds in, in that way. Many believe that it also corresponds to the errors of history. So we got formation, theocracy, um, monarchy. When you break down monarchy, you got um, post-exilic, uh, pre-exilic and post-exilic, and then you have restoration. And so they break, they break it down just um, in that way as well. So you may come across uh, various sources that may break down the book of Psalms in, in um, various ways, but those are kind of the popular ones. Uh, so the first one is that it, it kind of lines up with the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Bible. And then um, the second one is the uh, the division of, of Israel's history and breaking down the monarchy period to pre-exilic and post-exilic, okay? Um, so when you go into special considerations, it says since the Psalms are poetry um, and often were to be sung, they cannot be um, approached as one would interpret prose. So remember last week when uh, we looked at prose, prose is like uh, narrative writing, but it's written in a, in a poetry uh, structure. So just like with the book of Job, Job is not, you wouldn't, when you read Job, you wouldn't think of it as being poetry. It's more of a narration. It's telling you a story about, about Job. And so that type of writing is called prose, okay? So, and then what we're looking at today is poetry and parallelisms, okay? So we kind of talked about parallelism um, last week, but uh, we're gonna definitely um, look at a few more examples. So the figures of speech, the graphic imagery, the parallelisms and the various literary devices must be kept in view when interpreting the Psalms. You may see statements like, um, 
David may be talking about a, a swarm of locusts or, or surrounding us or whatever. Some may think that he's actually talking about locusts, but then you, when you dig a little deeper, they called armies um, or, you know, armies, they called them locusts. Okay. So you see kind of imagery like that used by, by David. And it's, it's so important for us to have that understanding of what David meant uh, when it comes to certain imagery in scripture. Okay. Um, let me see here. Okay. So if you, under special considerations, if you go to the third, no, let's go to the second one. Let's go ahead and just finish reading. The interpretation of some Psalms is greatly aided by certain titles and terms were placed at the author at the beginning of those Psalms. Sometimes there's an explanatory note um, at the beginning of the Psalms that reveal the historical setting of the Psalm. Sometimes a notion indicates the occasion on which the Psalm was to be used or why the Psalm was written. Other times the musical notations is given that suggest a tune to be used or the way it was to be sung. So all these um, ex uh, explanatory notes um, help us give a better feel of the Psalm. So if you have I know in a lot of paper Bibles, you will see like kind of above that psalm, it says it was like a psalms of ascent or a psalm uh, David played with a harp or something like that. Um, so it, give, it is giving the people instructions on how this particular psalm should be read or should be utilized. Um, you see when it says the psalms of ascent, that's kind of the the uh, psalms that they used during certain feast days or when they were going up to the holy hill which is jerusalem and so um and so that's something to keep in mind too if you have particular bibles that have commentary or um or titles like that now you kind of have an understanding of what that means it's, it's instructions for those who are uh, utilizing or who are reading um certain psalms okay um, the next paragraph, it says, again, it must be remembered that most of the Psalms were written before the revelation of the prophets, and all of them were written before the New Testament. Therefore, the interpret interpreting the Psalms care, uh, care must be taken not to incorrectly read later revelation into statements made by the psalmist. So when, when we do a call to worship, you will hear um, most likely they will use a psalm to kind of open up. Uh, and the, the very popular one is, um, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. But when you look at that, that scripture. Oh, don't uh, mess with us on that one. That's one of my favorites now. Come on. And I know. And I know. <laughs> and look at it in a theological sense. That, that scripture right there does not apply to us today. Oh, I know I'm, mess, I know I'm about to mess, mess y'all up with this one because what, what is going on is that David had to go to a place to meet God. We don't have to go to a place, a physical place to meet God. Where do we go to meet God? Where is God? <laughs> he 
He's on the inside of us. He is on the inside of us. Also known as omnipresent. God bless you. He's omnipresent. And so we are, according to Corinthians, we are the building. We are God's building. We are God's dwelling place. And so uh, so to say we're going to, to church to, to meet God. We're going, we want God to come into this building and things of that sort. That is theologically incorrect. We have God inside of us. So when we come together, we're worshiping God, but we're not waiting for his presence to come. Our, his presence should be inside of us, if, especially if we're saved. That means we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we come together and we come on one accord to worship God, not try to evoke his presence. I hope that makes sense. I know y'all got questions and comments. So yeah, y'all better go ahead. <laughs> I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's still, I understand everything you just said, but there's still something amazing about that statement. And when we say that, I think we mean it in modern days as, you know, just welcome to church. I don't think we mean that this is the only place we encounter God. Um, well, we act like that's the only place that we encounter God. And the uh, fact that we say welcome to church, that's wrong as well. When you, because uh, <laughs> I'm like, we are the church. I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know what's coming against y'all, y'all, y'all personal theology and things of that sort. But that's something to really keep in mind, though, that uh, scriptures like that, when David's saying, I'm longing to be in the presence of the Lord, he actually had to go to a place to be in the presence of the Lord. When we long to for the presence of the Lord, we are actually longing for the infilling of the Holy Spirit which comes through spending time with him and spending time through his word when the Holy Spirit can infill and to encourage us. That's the longing for. We don't have to be like David and long to go back to the tabernacle. And some of us, we act like that. I, need, I just need to be in church and to be in his presence. And we're saying that that's the only place where God is. And that's not right. Well, what about, like, for me, it's not so much as finding God there, but when we go into the house of the Lord, we're um, coming together as believers and like, we're not supposed to forsake assembling. So it's something in that coming together that um, is still uplifting for the believer. So when I say coming to the house of the Lord, it's because I'm amongst, you know, believers and we're coming together to praise God on one accord. Right. And so one thing that is so many caveats on what you said coming together. Yes, we are not supposed to forsake assembly, but it doesn't say that it has to be in a church building. We can assemble. No, it doesn't. But I'm just saying that's where we that's where we generally assemble, though. Right. Right. And so we have to really expand our minds on that, that we just generally a lot of us just come together in a church building. Like, I don't see. Many, I don't see many of y'all outside of the church building. Um, and so many of us will just consider that time together in a church building. That's a bus, you know, assemble, not, um, don't forsake assembling, but we're supposed to be together 
all the time, discipling all the time, no matter where we are, we're supposed to be amongst one another. And so it's really just kind of opening our minds from just not just coming to a church building, but actually being together, fellowshipping all the time, moving from the the Psalms of where they had to come to go to a building to the new covenant where we are the building. So we come together as the body of Christ to assemble, to worship together, no matter where we are, we can go, we can go to a restaurant and that will be considered assembling, you know, amongst one another and fellowshipping and worshiping God. We don't have to necessarily go to a designated place. And I think that's the benefit of God um, dwelling inside of us and that we don't have to run to a building to meet God. We meet God wherever we are. So people approach you, you should have the spirit of the Lord uh, on you. You should you should represent God wherever you go. So go ahead, uh, Daryl. You have something? Yeah, I was going. I was just going to agree with you, um, and I, I agree with Elder Tammy as well. Um, but I also believe it's a um, it's a mindset we've had for so long mm-hmm. um, that it's great to be in the church. And don't I love the church? I love coming to the church. But honestly, I can say my my greatest moments and maybe my I'll say like my greatest illuminations have come just sitting with another believer, maybe at dinner or maybe sitting Mm -hmm. at home or just even on the sidewalk. And don't get me wrong. We have great movements in church, but I also believe sometimes those are just emotional rushes because we've been dealing with so much all week. So that's the one place we can get to holler, scream, whatever, and let it all out. But I think those learning and illuminating moments and fellowshipping real moments isn't just in the church. I really believe it's when you really assemble among believers outside of the building, because a lot of times, especially when we're making disciples, if they come to the church first, they're going to be ran off because they don't really get the environment of the church. Sometimes it's too much. We got sometimes judgmental people in the church, but when you can have that one-on-one moment, when Christ is really inside of you, it's a blessing to know I don't have to drag them straight to the church to hurry up and let pastor talk to them, or I don't have to let the elders talk. I can have that church per se, quote unquote, right there with that person. And I think so sometimes we've gotten so, so stuck that we got to be in church at all these services that we forget sometimes. And it's not that we don't know. I think just sometimes we forget that we are the church, no matter where we are, we can be sitting right at work and make that church. So I just think sometimes it's our mindset as well, um, not coming against anybody or whatever. Um, just saying that sometimes it's our mindset. Oh, I'll speak for me. I know sometimes it was my mindset like, dude, I don't have to go to church to wait for a beat or wait, whatever. I can legit sit here and talk to Christ with another believer or a non-believer and can maybe convert them as a believer right here without four walls, without a band or whatever. So I just think sometimes it's our mindset as well. Yep, I, I totally. I just want to clarify. I wasn't saying that we can't fellowship anywhere else. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's no. not what I was saying. I was just saying because I do it all the time. I fellowship with people outside of church, and right now our church is trying to fall, form small groups that won't necessarily meet in the building. Right. But but I mean, I still count it as a blessing that we can assemble in the building because a lot of people cannot. I mean, a lot of people around the world are not allowed the space to do that. They have to hide to, to come together to worship. So that's all I was saying. 
yeah, I get, I, yeah, I get what you're saying, but I just wanted to, for everybody to understand that, uh, like, like what Daryl was saying about the tradition of coming to a building, that, um, that when you look at the New Testament, when they converted disciples, they didn't just go to a, a church and say, "Well, come on here and come to the church." They met in houses. They met everywhere to disciple one another or whatnot. So it's just understanding the transition. That's where I'm trying to show you all the transition of David having, he had to go to a building to meet God. He didn't have the indwelling. He didn't have the benefit like we do. He had to go to a place to meet God where we don't have to do that. We don't have to go to a building to God is inside of us. And when we, assemble, when we assemble, that's when we're getting God glory. That's when we're getting God our worship and, and discipling and learning about his word. Okay. So I, that's, that's why I'm, that's where I'm going. I'm not, I'm not, uh, well, I won't say that, but uh, I'm, I'm saying in a theological way that David didn't have that benefit of the indwelling. And we do. Uh, Lala, did you have something? Yes. Um, so um, when we have scriptures that don't necessarily apply to us in the modern day time, what do we do with that? Um, I mean, I know for referencing and like realizing, okay, times have changed since David's time. Like, wow, mm -hmm. God, like you're in us now and we don't have to technically go to a tabernacle. But like, what are we technically doing with those scriptures is it just referencing or just seeing how times have changed and for thanksgiving like like wow god you've you definitely changed to the you've allowed us to you know not have to go to a place but to you know look within but um i think you said this before too it was like a different um scripture a different revelation but you had mentioned that that scripture wasn't technically for like us today. So I've never, I, I think I struggle with like knowing what to do with those particular scriptures. I mean, do I just kind of throw it to the back of my mind? Like if it doesn't apply to me, like what is, what's the intention of those scriptures? What you just did when you said, um, I'm thankful God that I don't have to go to a building like David did and that I have the indwelling. Um, I have the spirit in, inside of me. That is what how we take those those type of scriptures. We we connect them. We look at the progressiveness of God. So we don't we don't x out those scriptures, but we take those scriptures and see how God continually moves through that. So that's that's how you do it. So you see the connection. So when we're dealing with with um, with um, suffering and struggling on. You know, you brought David out uh, of this particular situation. You'll bring me out. But the, the greater revelation of that is that even if you don't bring me out, God, I'm still going to serve you. And he talks about that in, in, the, in the epistles on how um, you called us to suffer with you. And that even if you don't bring us out of this suffering, we're still going to be with you. Whereas when they were suffering in, in the Old Testament, we looked at Job. Job thought it was the end of the world, that he did something wrong. But God, he wants us to suffer. Jesus wants us to suffer with him. So that's how you will do it. You will look at the connection of how that is fulfilled in scripture. I hope that makes sense. I hope that answered answer that. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And then, too, just a quick thought as far as, like, the church itself. um, Not even so much that I agree or disagree, but it is definitely a difference with, like, not being able to be in the actual physical place versus, Mm -hmm. like, a live situation or just having to, like, catch it um, at a later time. Um, like when I hear the the scripture, let us go into the house of the Lord, you know, like it, it said unto me, let it, you know, like that scripture, um, I take it as, you know, when I'm there, it, you know, the, the way that the enemy fought me to get there, you know, like there are so many different like obstacles and things in the way that stopped me from going. But then when I actually get there and I see other believers amongst me that are happy to praise and worship and hear the word of God, it kind of hits differently. It's like the revelation itself is, you know. God, I made it here. I'm here. Yes, you've been with me all day, every day. But the fact that I'm here and I'm able to, you know, be my true self as a believer, I don't know. It just hits differently. So that's kind of my take on that. But right, thank you. Yeah, because <laughs> there is strength um, amongst one another. We can encourage and edify one another, and sometimes that's what we need. So I'm not, I'm not negating the fact that we, uh, we, we, we don't have to come together. But the um, there is strength in, in coming to, coming with one another. That's how we exercise spiritual gifts. That's how we um, edify and encourage and uplift one another when we come together. So yeah, definitely. Yep, you go through your daily struggles and you just need some, a hug from somebody, a look from somebody. That is a way of edifying and uh, lifting up one another. So yeah, definitely. So yeah, and, anybody and, else? And- and that's why, again, I like how you said from the beginning, looking at this from a theological perspective. In this case, we, we, are, we are better off than what David was. And yeah. I think for a lot of people now, when they hear this theological perspective, the first thing they want to do is, quote unquote, attack the church, quote unquote, I ain't got to be there. But the problem is. You don't have to be there, but you're still, are you still actively pursuing this discipleship? So oftentimes being in the presence of other people in a, what we call a church setting would prayerfully put you in that place to where you can actively pursue discipleship. And I like the fact, because I hope everybody's hearing even what you're saying from a theological perspective and from from this angle, you know, I hope they can hear it, but also understand that this assembling together is 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 blessed. It's it's great. We need it, just like everybody's been saying. But at the same time, we intend to take this moment to a, a attack the fact that in our culture we actually come to a building, and we do that because in our culture we have replaced the worship with God with the worship of the building. You know what I mean? And as we are growing, we are learning that the building is just the building, you know, so we can go with it or without it. And that's why it's a blessing to be in these small groups, especially for those of you that cannot be in the building or you can't catch a live because, you know, or whatnot, because we have all these other options, but that you connect with a small group. And then it is very important for any small group teacher or session that we are presenting the word of God during small groups, you know, because uh, some of our people, even at the Revival Center, aren't getting what we're getting when we're there or even when we're in TLC. So it's very critical 
that we remember this discipleship portion in every small group session that we do, that there needs to be some kind of teaching or something. That's why I keep declaring that to the teachers that this has to happen because now we have more options than coming to the building, you know, and and I think you and I was having this conversation yesterday, you know, like we have more options, but sometimes we have to be careful as people not to go ahead and say, you know, I ain't got to come to church just to justify it. You don't want to, you don't want to assemble among the brethren because you want to go out and do yard work. If that makes sense. Yeah, I get it. I get it. Yep. Um, Eva, is your hand up? I see your yes, hand up. Yes, ma'am. And I want to encourage the students when you're in class, raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I have uh, sitting here listening. I, you know, it, this is beautiful. Let me just say that it's wonderful because it's iron sharpening iron. And not only that, you know, it, uh, uh, it gives us all a chance to look at it from various perspectives. And so I'm grateful and thankful to God for that. Uh, but I do want to go back all that because the whole lot been seeing the pendulum that went from all the way to the left, all the way to the right. So I just want to go back to the one, that one scripture. Now I'm not a historian, so I don't claim to have some historical who wrote what, what was they eating when they wrote it? What time of day it was? I don't know. But I always do use the scripture, and I love it for this reason. Uh, I was glad. Whoever wrote this said, I was glad. What you glad about when they said? Now, he, whoever they is, I was glad when, when they said, let who? Us go to the house. Now, we, I think we're reading a whole lot into something that basically I, I agree a lot with uh, Elder Tammy. Uh, the house, not necessarily, and I agree with you, Elder Camellia, being a building, it could have been a cave, it could have been on the side of the mountain, it could have been a hut. Uh, we push up, let's uh, fast forward it to uh, the day of the, uh, the days of the church, if you will, before Christ, whatever, they went into houses. But the, but the point is, for me, is I was glad the, uh, when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. So meaning no matter where you are, uh, uh, geographically or locationally, wherever two or three are gathered here in his name, it becomes the place of his presence. So uh, I don't look at that scripture being a destination or uh, even, if, even if David was praying and, and he had to go to God alone, guess what? We all do have to go to God alone. But then there is a there is a corporate gathering, if you will, a bit as somebody on the telephone. They will use the thing to say not the assembly, the assembling of yourself. So we should not be a person on an island all by ourselves in Christianity doing our own thing and not having checks and balances based on what we're learning or what we are internalizing. There needs to be an assembling of yourself with someone, with something to help us to mature and grow into the knowledge of him. So when I say let us, I was glad when they said let us go into the house of the Lord, I'm looking at it from a perspective of us coming together because of the, the, the power of corp or coming together where there were two or three are gathered in my name. And also coming together collectively because you can't give me your gift if you're at home by yourself. I can't get anything from you 
apart from you. But when we come together, there is a power within the midst of us where, where, where our giftings, our talents, our anointings, whatever it is, when it comes together, it creates an environment for a greater move of God. So that's what I love about, I was glad when they say, let us go into the house of the Lord. Yep, I, I I totally get what you're what you're saying. Yep, but um, we have to. What I was trying to communicate, I'm a I'm a um, shut down the comments for this so we can continue to move on. Um, what I was trying to to let us understand is the literal meaning of that. What David was speaking about, and to see where he what he had to deal with. That's the part we have to deal with first is what the scripture really means to the original reader and the human author. Then we must connect scriptures correctly in order to see the progression of of that or whatnot. So that's what I was trying to show. And so I'm I'm gonna kind of cut the comments right there because I don't, I see us um, kind of, let me just cut the comments right there. So um, thank you for you all's um, input on, on that. And I pray that as we continue to, to study, as we continue to, to understand scripture and the connection, um, that we will even uh, gain a greater illumination of, of scripture. So yes. So let's um, look at the, let's go here with the, um, with the basic, let's see, with the basic outline. Uh, see the special considerations. Let's let's go there with the special um, considerations. I think that's where we are now. Yep, we're on we're on special considerations. So let's look at the summary. The summary of Psalms is broken down. Um, you can use this. This is not um, this is not um, like set in stone, but the, this is a way where you can um, kind of look at Psalms and how. Uh, certain psalms are talking about certain things. So when you look at the messianic psalms, they will point. They will point to to Jesus Christ. And so it says in your book, it says these psalms uh, that prophetically speaks of the person and the work of the Messiah. Some of these psalms refer only to the Lord Jesus Christ. So others refer to the King on the throne at the time of the psalms was composed, but awaits the final fulfillment of the Lord. Jesus Christ. Okay. So there's Psalms that kind of point to that. When you look at the lament, you hear the cry, the cry of the people to God uh, for help because some of the trouble of the Psalms, um, the Psalmist finds himself in, he finds himself in some trouble. So he begins to cry out to God. The testimonial Psalms um, talks about uh, uh, the declaration uh, by the writer. He will tell others what God has done for, for him. Um, and so the Psalms looks back at some moments and needs in life and records how God uh, met that need. So you hear, you see the testimonial Psalms, you'll see the pilgrim Psalms of how they were traveling uh, to the holy, to the holy place, the holy city. And so this, this, these were um, songs that they sung uh, when they were going into Jerusalem. And then you see the imprecatory Psalm. Uh, these are Psalms that ask for judgment on wicked men who are enemies of the writer. Um, the wicked man um, have just offended the author, and so you'll see t- um, you see uh, David talk about the the wicked and how they are they are striving and how they are advancing versus those who are in God. And you see scriptures that, that that talks about it like that, and then you have the penitential psalms. It's mostly written by David, so these psalms reveal the heart 
of the penitent individual sorrowing over his sins. And you'll see David doing that, especially when he was dealing with um, Bathsheba and um, the fact that his child died um, because of his um, sin. And um, you'll hear David's kind of kind of um, cry and kind of um, uh, cry cry about what what just went what just went on. And then you have the wisdom. Some then you have you know historical and nature and, and things of that. Uh, looking at the nature, looking at God's gracious handiwork and things of that sort. So so the. Um, so the Psalms can be broken down, can be looked at and um, categorized in these um, particular manners here, okay? So any other questions about the structure and the authorship about Psalms before we hop into Proverbs? Because we got six minutes. All right, cool beans, cool beans. Let me continue on here. So when it comes to the authorship of, um, of, of Proverbs, um, it, it says that it is, uh, go here, come on here. So it's generally agreed that King Solomon wrote the majority of the, of the share of the book of Proverbs. Um, the book itself testifies of his authorship and First Kings 4 records both the great wisdom and the prolific writing of Solomon. Um, since most of the Proverbs were written by Solomon, a date about 950 BC is given for this book here. And then the final two chapters of this book were written by Agar and King Lemuel. So we know nothing of certainty about either of these two men. So we know he's a king, but he, we, when we look at the lineage of kings, he was not part of Israel lineage of kings. So um, they're, they're, they're saying that we're not sure what nation King Lemuel came from. Um, but he did attribute um, a proverb. So a proverb is not just limited for Israel, but a lot of ancient uh, historical um, uh, nations, they, they had uh, proverbs and things of that sort, uh, particular process proverbs and so sayings and, and things of encouragement and wisdom and things of that sort. Um, so when we look at the basic outline, um, uh, purpose and basic outline, it says that Proverbs gives wisdom on all areas of human experiences. So wisdom is not simply a matter of intellect. It is viewing life and self from God's perspective, which is the only true and, and, and valid perspective. And so, um, and so when we look at um, Proverbs, it's, uh, it's giving us a view uh, of life from, from God's perspective from that level of revelation that, that, that has been given about God. And so um, as, as I continue to say, as we continue to look at these books, the level of revelation they have is limited versus what we have. So we have a greater um, truth about God. We have a greater revelation about God. And the highest um, example or the highest representation of God is his word, his complete word. Uh, another high uh, uh, representation of God's truth is Jesus Christ himself. And another high representation of God's truth is the Holy Spirit in which all of those things we have, they didn't have uh, the benefit of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the benefit of having the complete word of God. And so that's something to really keep in mind when looking um, at Proverbs. Um, let's see here. When we, let's see here. And so under the purpose of um, Proverbs, when you look at the second 
um, paragraph, it says a Proverbs is a brief saying in, uh, that is used to communicate much truth. In concise, striking way, truth is expressed so as to be caught in the mind of retained uh, by memory. So the root word proverb carry the idea to govern or to rule. Therefore, proverbs are wise, concise sayings that are to be used in governing our lives. Okay. So when it comes to the special consideration, it says that um, since proverbs is a key of poetry, parallelism is key interpretive um, element. So that's why I keep saying to, to look at the types of parallelism because it's going to help you to interpret um, proverbs. Um, it says uh, synonymous parallelism is often identified in proverbs by the use of the word than, so, or as. Um, antithetical parallelism is recognized by the uh, word but, so it's a contrasting thoughts um, and is identified by the word and, okay? So that's, um, you'll see that type of parallelism used in the book of um, Proverbs, okay? Um, and so another one, the next paragraph says, the word wise and wisdom are repeated many times along with knowledge and understanding. And the key phrase you'll see is the fear of the Lord. It's found more than a dozen times in this book here. So in order to understand uh, or to categorize a book of wisdom, um, you will see the word wisdom being used in some form. Um, that's how to let us know um, that particular genre is being used when we see the word wisdom or seeing that type of parallelism that is going on there. Um, so when you look at the summary, nope, that's Ecclesiastes. Um, when you look at the summary of, of Proverbs, it says that the book of Proverbs was written to bring us into wisdom, into a disciplined life. Solomon is convinced that wisdom begins with the right relationship with God. And I believe that's, that's something that we can definitely agree on um, as those in the, in the uh, dispensation of race that it starts with a, a right relationship with God. And um, until a man fears the Lord, meaning that he has the proper view of God, which result in a right relationship with God, he has uh, no real hope of living an abundant kind of life. Until a man sees God rightly, he cannot rightly view life. And so we, uh, as we continue to, to learn about God's word, we are getting a clearer understanding of who God is. And once we understand who God is, we can have that right relationship with him and not just approach him in any way that we want to and things of that sort. God has standards. God has ways that we should approach him um, so to understand the, 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 the mind of God and the thoughts of God is so key in order to have a right relationship. It's just like with any type of relationship, when you begin to learn about that person, you begin to uh, respect and honor them in that way. And that's the same when dealing, when um, developing a, a relationship with God. Um, and so, yeah, so it talks about um, how all wisdom comes from the Lord but man has a responsibility to search and seek after wisdom. And we see that also in James, how we should seek for wisdom as well. Um, and so in that paragraph, uh, I skipped, I skipped to, um, I think like probably the fifth or, fifth or sixth paragraph. It says that, so although the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, man needs to study and to learn God's truth and in, in increase in wisdom. Having true wisdom will keep one from making some terrible errors in judgment and will bring a person into uh, abundant kind of life. 
Okay. So, um, so I think we, we kind of understand that the Proverbs is a, is a book of wisdom and it's a universal book, meaning that it wasn't just, um, applicable for Israel, but it's applicable for mankind as well. But in order to kind of discern between, uh, human wisdom and versus, um, uh, God's wisdom is that we have to really understand what God is saying concerning certain situations. Okay. So that's why I was trying to uh, elaborate. So um, any questions or comments um, about Proverbs or Psalms and things of that sort? All right, cool beans. Um, I thank you all for your input on on today and i think we had a really good discussion and so i pray that you all will continue to dig deeper in scripture and to understand you know the historical meaning and um, as we continue to grow in content and structure um and learning about interpret interpretive matters we were able to correctly interpret scriptures for ourselves and um, to see the pinnacle of god's revelation um, as being the, the guide for our lives, okay? So that's why I'm trying to communicate um, to understand God's progressiveness and to live in the height of God's word. We don't have to live down low in low-level revelation. We, we have the benefit to live in the height of revelation. So I just want for you all just to, just to keep that in mind. So if there are any questions or comments, I'm gonna go ahead and, and pray out here. I see everybody. I think I got a pretty much marked everybody's attendance. So you're, you're good with that. So let me pray out. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you, oh God, for us coming together in this manner, oh God. We're on a Zoom call learning about your word, God. And in this, God, we are able to receive encouragement. We are able to receive your word, Father. Um, this is a, a, another way of us assembling together and to, to learn about you and to, to help strengthen our relationships, oh God. And so God, as our gifts begin to, to pour as it, in, in, the, in the word gifts of understanding and knowledge, Father, I pray, oh God, that in that, um, God, that we are able to take what, what, um, what you are saying through us, oh God, and be able to apply that to our lives, Father. I thank you, oh God, for the fellowship um, here on Zoom and the fellowship that we're going to have together, God, when we assemble together, Father, that we're able to continue to encourage and to lift um, lift up one another, God. And um, God, we're thankful that we can come together as, as parts of the body. We're, we're, we're the body of Christ and we operate in various lanes, oh God. So as we come together, we come together as the full body of Christ, Father. And so I thank you, oh God, that you allowed us time for us to come together and to worship your name, oh God, to honor who you are, God, to give you the glory, to give you the praise, whether it be in dance, whether it be in song, whether it to be in the taught word, whether it to be in exhortation, oh God. We thank you, oh God, for those moments, oh God, and we do not limit ourselves um, on a Saturday or on a Wednesday, God, that we're, we should be um, striving to come together every day, whether it be on the phone, whether it be in person, oh God, to a, um, to give you the glory, God, 
for God, it is, um, you said in your scripture that, um, that for us to bear fruit and for us to make disciples, this is what gives you glory, Father. So God, allow us to understand the measurement of giving you glory, Father. Allow us to understand the measurement of coming together and worshiping your holy name and the standards, God, that you are looking for, oh God. Um, God, we thank you for who you are. And I pray, oh God, that we will continue to 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 learn about your precepts and learn about your strategies, God, and learn about uh, your 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 holy and precious word, Father, and and let us to, to know that God, you are a God that never changes, but you are you were you are a God that constantly revealed yourself little by little to people, God, and so we thank you, God, for you revealing yourself through your holy word, Father. We thank you, God, for the divine illumination that we can learn more about you so we can have a right relationship with you, God, so that we can respect and honor you, God, for who you are. So, God, we lift you up and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you all for coming, and I pray that you all have a great day. Great class. See you at church. Thank you, you guys. Have a blessed week. Great class.